Hey everyone, I'm Renee Bennett. Consider me the girl next door, having conversations that will help challenge and shape your worldview in a culture that has turned our moral compass upside down and inside out. To chat with me further, come join me on social media, girlnextdoor.podcast. No topics are off limits. I'm really glad you're here. Now, on to today's episode. Hello, hello everyone. How are you? It's Renee. I'm super glad that you're here listening today. Can you guys believe it is November? I feel like it was only just January and I blinked and it's November and I drove past down a street last night near my house and there's a few houses that have Christmas lights and I literally said out loud to myself, God bless you. I love Christmas lights, but I cannot believe it's November. I mean, I normally have my Christmas shopping done. You know, I used to start doing it back in July. I can't even fathom. I'm sure you guys feel the same. Anyway, onwards and upwards with today's episode. I think I got the episode numbers wrong last week. We're actually up to number 301. So we've hit over the 300 mark. I can't believe that. That's like 300 hours of me talking at you. So for those of you that have been the journey on the journey since the start, I love you guys. We're going to have a look today at um, this whole thought about was Jesus political? You kind of can split the room with that question. If I had a room full of people and I'm like, right, you go and sit over that side if you think, yes, he was political over this side if you think, no, he wasn't. So we're going to really unpack that today. Now, do you guys remember this game that you might have played as a kid? I certainly used to Um, play this with my preppies when I was teaching, but you would put like a bunch of things out on a, on a tray. Now I'm not talking about the memory game. It's another game, but the kids would have to work out out of all of those items on the tray, which one didn't belong, right? So you might put on there an apple, a banana, an orange, some grapes, and then some bread. So it was a classification game. They'd have to work out, oh, well, the bread doesn't belong because it's not a fruit. So if I could put in front of everyone these words, politics, government, parliament, Christianity, and said, okay, is there one there that you think don't belong? No doubt we all know which one would be considered as not belonging. Now, I talked about this two weeks ago about why we should be involved in politics, but I want to head it from a bit of a different angle today. But I feel like that's how many people do view politics and Christianity, right? You know, we're told when you go and have dinner with friends or with family, don't talk about two things, religion or politics, let alone putting the two together. So most people would say, well, politics and the Bible don't go together. Politics and Jesus don't go together. But there are, um, you know, a lot of thoughts around this, um, a lot of perhaps myths that I want to talk about today. There's a lot of confusion. And I want to clarify that today and bring some thoughts to you. I've got six thoughts around this whole concept of politics and Jesus and Christianity and the Bible. Um And most of it, I want to center around Jesus, around the person of Jesus, Um, around this thought about, you know, was he political? Um, If he wasn't political, then we shouldn't be. So we're really going to unpack that and go into depth about that today. And um, I really think this is going to give you a lot of perspective. So here we go with the six thoughts. Um, The first thought that I have around this is, you know, uh, something that I've probably thought myself that many of us think, which is, well, I'm not called to politics. It's only for the few chosen people. I mean, who would, who would want, you know, 
to purposely put their life aside for politics. I know that when we look at politicians or we see politics happening in front of us on the media, it's not something that I think a lot of us would jump at wanting to be involved in. So should we be involved, let alone as a Christian? Um, Christians don't really need to get involved. Maybe we shouldn't. That's what some people tend to think. And it's true. Maybe the actual public office is something that is just for the few, but the rest of us, we're off the hook. But I think that thinking of it like that is actually probably one of the most uh, maybe damaging myths about politics because it downplays two things. It downplays our personal responsibility and it also downplays the impact of politics in society. When you think about it, politics actually governs society, right? Politics is where every policy and law is formed that affects society, which affects you and me. Whatever affects society affects absolutely everybody in it, as well as our future. So if we care about society, then we all need to care about politics. It's not just for the chosen few. Now let's look at it historically, because we tend to only see things through the little snippet of time that we've been alive. And often for good perspective, we have to look back at history. And historically, it was never the government who cared for for society. It was actually the church. Now, as the church has vacated that space more and more, politics has had to step in, mostly not for the better, might I add. So, I would argue that we need to take that space back. Now, you all know I'm quite a fan of Dennis Prager, who is a a Jewish man that runs the PragerU University. There's a PragerU app with all these five-minute videos that are just brilliant. He hosts a radio station and a podcast. Obviously, his, his views differ to mine being a Christian, but he actually has um, a book about the Ten Commandments. He's really passionate about the Ten Commandments, and I have spoken about this before, but his view is that if every society just lived by the Ten Commandments, right? So in other words, if we put if we put the Bible front and center of every society just with the Ten Commandments, we would barely have any need to be governed. And when you unpack that, he's actually right. There would be no murder, no theft, no lies. We'd have no need for police or armies or jail. We would have, if we all obeyed just the Ten Commandments, we would have a peaceful ordered society where big government would be unnecessary because people take responsibility for themselves. So I would say around this first thought that yes, we are actually all called to have an impact. Now it might not be to be called to public office, but we can all impact politics in some way. In fact, I would say we have a responsibility too, because the more that Christians and the church and the word of God has vacated society, the worse society has become, the more that government has had to step in. Now, we all know Micah 6, 8, which says, do justice, love mercy and walk humbly with our God. It doesn't even say love justice. It says do justice. So that's a command for all of us to outwork justice. How is justice outworked? Well, it's outworked through the law. And how is the law set? Well, it's set through politics. So there are many, many scriptures like this. The second thought, 
is this. Now, this would be many of us, including myself again. Well, I don't know enough about politics to be involved. Now, I'm sure all of us would be like, yes, absolutely. But guys, if you've been listening to this podcast for any length of time, really, a lot of what I talk about are actually political issues. I just don't say that they're political issues. In fact, at first, I didn't even realize I was talking about political issues. But I get this, right? I am not a person that's ever known anything about politics. I said this to you the other week. The extent of what I knew as a child was my mum telling me, um, vote for Labor, don't vote for Liberal because they make the rich get richer, the poor get poorer. That was my education. I don't understand a lot about politics. Well, I didn't um, previously, uh, but obviously now I understand a little bit more. Uh, but it's actually through this podcast, people started saying things to me about, oh, wow, you really care a lot about politics and you really understand a lot about politics. And like I said, I was a bit bamboozled, like, no, I, I'm not a political person. I don't know anything about politics. I've never cared about politics. But then I realized, okay, my concern is for culture. My concern is for the principles that we live by. My concern is for morality. So my concern is not so much policy, but principle. But then I realized, isn't it principles that drive policy? And my concern is not so much with politics, but morality. But isn't it morality that drives politics? Politics actually determines culture and the principles of our society and even morality. So you don't have to know or care about politics, but I think all of us here would say, yeah, we do care about the values and the principles and the moral state of our society. So I am concerned about things like gender ideology and climate crisis and abortion and euthanasia and equity and vaccines and everything else that I talk about. Policies about all of these things are actually set in the rooms and the hallways of parliament. So if you believe abortion is wrong, guess what? That's political. If you believe murder is wrong, guess what? That's political. If you're concerned about gender ideology, guess what? That's political. And so the light bulb went off in my brain. I'm like, oh, I guess I am concerned and interested in politics because I'm concerned about culture, principles, and morality. So I, I don't speak because I love politics. I speak because I love God. I'm driven by his word, which informs my principles and my moral compass. And that's all that you and I need to know. So don't worry if you feel like, well, I don't know much about politics. Guess what? You actually do. Because if you care about all of these things, that's really caring about politics because that's where a lot of the policies uh, are driven in our society around these issues. And all you need to care about is the principles and the morals and the, um, and the, and the morality and the word of God. Okay. My third thought is I often hear people say, well, the church should not be involved in politics. What do you think about that? Should the church be involved? Should they not be involved? It's pretty complex, isn't it, when you think about it? Now, many pastors say the church should be apolitical. Now, apolitical means that you have no interest or no influence in politics. So in other words, the church should stay right out of politics. So let's explore this with some critical thinking questions. If Christians, if the church stay out of politics, what might happen? 
what kinds of policies might be established without the influence of the church. If the church historically has helped maintain the moral compass of society, what will happen to our society if we stay quiet? Now, most importantly, the church has stayed out of politics, has withdrawn from politics in the last four or five decades. I spoke on that two weeks ago. And what has the fruit of that been? Remember, I always, I haven't said it for a while, but in my first, you know, two years, I was always saying to you guys, what's the fruit of something? Where is this going to uh, end up taking us down the future? Now, I would say the fruit of having minimal to no church or Christian influence in politics has been devastating. The moral uh, decline has been rapid. So it seems that being apolitical, aka having no interest in politics um, in the church, that that's not been good. But what if instead we are involved, but we remain non-partisan? So how about we flip that conversation to... Um, okay, I agree. Um, we can't stay apolitical. We can't stay completely out of it. But how can we engage? Well, we can engage in a nonpartisan way. Nonpartisan means we don't take sides. Now, this is actually uh, biblical. And you can imagine that sitting within one church congregation, there would be so many political views. But let me talk about that in just a moment. Let me go back to this scripture in Joshua chapter 5, verse 13 to 14. Let's have a look at this. Okay. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Right. In other words, which side are you on? Which is often what happens with Christians. We get caught up in, well, what do you think about this? What's your view on that? Which side are you on? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now, Joshua did go on to fight the battle, so he did go to on to take a side because there is good and evil and we do need to fight. But the point of that scripture is that we should be non-partisan because we're not taking either sides. We always take God's side. The only place to give blind loyalty is to God. Now, like I said, Joshua did go on to take a side because there is good and evil and we do have to choose good. And this is where scripture comes in and can inform us. But again, people are going to have differing views on different things. But I think some things it's it's a given, like, for example, uh, abortion. We know that God values life. So abortion is wrong. Murder is wrong, etc. Okay, so that's my, what was up to, third point. Um, the church should not be involved in politics. Well, they can, but they should do so in a nonpartisan way. Let's extend that to my fourth thought, which is this, that unity in the church when it comes to um, you know, politics, unity doesn't actually require uniformity. 
Now, sometimes the reason we shy away from politics is because amongst Christians, we've got many, many different political views. Like I said, just within one church congregation, people would be split on various things. Now, I think some things are clearly informed by the word, like the sanctity of life, but there are other issues that we can disagree, but we can remain unified without demanding uniformity of opinion. I mean, this is so interesting, guys. Do you know how much political diversity there was just amongst the disciples? So Simon, who was later called Peter, he was actually a zealot, right, which is the equivalent of a human activist. Zealots actually worked against the government. So Simon Peter in today's terms would have been like a right-wing small government guy. This is so fascinating. Matthew, on the other hand, was a tax collector for the ruling elite. So he actually created burdens for the poor. So you can imagine these two on the same side as disciples. So in today's term, Matthew would be a left-wing big government guy. So we've got a right-wing small government guy, uh, as a disciple with a left-wing big government guy. But they were friends because their loyalty was to Jesus and his kingdom. His kingdom always exceeded their loyalty to political agenda. So people from varying political beliefs can experience unity under our first allegiance and loyalty being to Jesus. It's that allegiance, that loyalty to him that unites us. We should actually feel more at home with people who share our faith, but not our politics than people who share our politics, but not our faith. Let me say that again. We should feel more at home with people who share our faith, but not our politics than with people who share our politics, but not our faith. So how fascinating is that? So we can be within the church, nonpartisan, and yet still unified despite our different opinions. All right, the fifth thought that I have around this is that the government is actually a part of God's plan. So God is in favor of the government. So prime ministers, senators, governors, mayors, council members, as well as police, military, etc., they all play an important role in God's world to help maintain order in society. So let's look at a few scriptures around that. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 and 2 says, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So again, one of those scriptures that points to the fact that uh, God has put government there and structure there for us in society for our good so that we can lead peaceful and quiet lives. Romans 13, 1-7 says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. <clears throat> so the Bible highlights that God-fearing men and women serve in public office. That's a part of his plan. And then, of course, you can look at um, different people in the Bible, like Deborah. She was a judge over the land. Joseph served as prime minister for the Egyptian pharaoh. Daniel served in the courts of King Nebuchadnezzar, which would be the equivalent of like being a staffer now for a politician. Nehemiah is another example who was an official for the Persian king. So point number six, we're going to really focus on Jesus, like I said, 
at the start, but let me just go through those five thoughts again before we go on with number six around politics and Christianity. Uh, the first is the thought of, I'm not called to politics, it's only for the few called people. We talked about that. My second thought was our fear around, well, I don't know enough about politics to be involved. Uh, so I talked about we know more than what we realize as long as we are passionate about uh, morals and principles. Um, number three, uh, the idea of should the church be involved in politics or not. So we decided yes, but in a non-partisan way as opposed to being apolitical. Number four, unity does not require uniformity. So we can all have different views and public uh, uh political opinions, but we can still be unified. And number five, government is actually a part of God's plan, which leads to number six, was Jesus a political figure? Da, da, da. That was the question of today's episode. Was Jesus political? Okay, let's talk about Jesus. Now, I've heard a bit of uh, a few different people speak about this uh, recently, which has really helped me just to crystallize my thinking about it. And one thing that I heard recently was a guy saying that a lot of people say that, well, Jesus was not a political figure, that he didn't ever talk about one political issue. And that then becomes the bedrock that people decide uh, to then have the view that, well, we as Christians should stay out of politics because Jesus stayed out of politics. So I want to address this in two ways. The first is this, that is true. Jesus was not a political figure. Okay. So that's my first thought around this. Jesus was not a political figure. Let's talk about that. Now the Jews were expecting a temporary king. They were expecting a political redeemer who would restore the independent Jewish government. That's why they didn't think that Jesus was the Messiah, because he didn't look like what they expected him to look like, not as in his physical appearance, but as in the role that he would perform for them. Now, terrible things were going on in society at the time that Jesus walked the earth, but he didn't address any of it um, as such, not, not kind of head on. He was not a political Messiah. And why would that be? Well, that was not his mission because he did not come to take sides in political kingdoms because he's not an earthly king, right? His perspective was different. His miss mission was to establish his kingdom, a heavenly kingdom. So his mission was to come to earth to bring salvation to us. It wasn't to start a political revolution. His mission was not to take a political side in earthly matters, right? He is, and always will be, above that. He is above our earth's affairs. Now, interestingly, why do you think that he constantly referred to the kingdom of heaven? It's actually just so clever and so strategic of Jesus to use that word kingdom because he came at a time that they understood that word because that was the very same methods that they used to rule, right? With kings. So it really tells us a lot that Jesus knew exactly what was going on in the politics of the day. He was saying, hey, 
It's not your kingdom over there or your kingdom over here that's the most important. It's my kingdom. So he did not come to be a political revolutionary. He didn't come to take sides in a political uh, kingdoms. He came to create a whole other option, the option, which was his kingdom to be established here on earth. And that is the only option that we should all be under the kingdom of heaven. So that really ties in well to the point that I was saying just a moment ago about being nonpartisan, about not taking sides, because the only side that we should be taking is God's side, the kingdom of heaven. So that ties in really beautifully. Jesus came to set the record straight which he did without one single word about politics, right? So clever. Most important was his kingdom. That was his mission. And to get bogged down in any other political agenda would have distracted him from that mission. But he was the only one, guys, with that mission, right? Jesus' mission was unique. Now, he refused to be made king, which is what the Jews wanted, because he had a specific call that nobody else had. He completed the work by coming, dying on the cross, rising again. That is not the case for us. Being politically involved would have hurt his mission, but that is not the case for us. So the teaching of Jesus contains no political philosophy. But, 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 this is the second part to this. It leads me to my second point. The teachings of Jesus have revolutionized the political development of society in a powerful way. So let me say that all again. So while Jesus was not a political figure as such, and while he did not come to this earth to take political sides or to engage in a political revolution, it is super clear that his teachings have revolutionized the political development of society in a powerful way. It is the very values and core beliefs and principles of Jesus that has revolutionized society, which, yes, includes the politics of the day. His teachings have been one of the most potent forces that have changed the world. What marks society most often marks politics. Politics reflects the state of society as much as society reflecting the state of politics, right? Let me say that again. Politics always reflects the state of society, but equally society reflects the state of politics. And that's what happened when Jesus came and he turned society on its head. It automatically uh, created a wave of revolutionary changes when it came to the way that societies were governed, which back in the day was through the kings. Uh, now we'd say that's through our government and through prime ministers and senators and all of those positions. Let me give you some examples so that you can see what I mean. Back in the ancient world, if we look at the way that children were considered or how they were held or esteemed in society, they were considered to be the lowest status in society. Uh, 
So when then the children came to Jesus, remember that scripture when the children came to him and the disciples were like, no, go away, don't bother Jesus. That's just because they were reflecting what society valued at the time. They didn't value children. So the disciples were like, well, the children need to go away. Now, Jesus turned that on its head. Instead of him conforming to societal norms, he contradicted his disciples and he completely changed the way that uh, society saw children at the time because he valued them. And he said, no, let the children come to me. And then he even said things like, unless you see the kingdom like through the eyes of a child. So we now can't imagine a world where children are not highly valued. But that is because of the revolutionary teachings of Jesus that flipped society on its head. And then that made absolute waves when it came to the politics of the day. And so the reason we value children so much is in a huge part because of the way that Jesus valued children back in a time in ancient society where they did not value children. That's just one example of how Jesus' teaching has revolutionized the political development of society. Let's look at another example, gender equality. Now, we think it's a fairly new phenomenon in society that we are pushing for this gender equality, but Jesus, again, was the one who revolutionized the way that women were valued. Again, in ancient world, women were minimized, depersonalized, and of little value. Jesus revolutionized that by affirming their worth, ministering to them, and even allowing them to minister to him and with him. Women were disciples. Women held leadership positions. Women were the first to tell the gospel of the good news of Jesus' resurrection. I mean, think about stories like the the woman with the issue of blood. Jesus not only allowed the bleeding woman to touch him without consequence, but he touched her and healed her. The woman with the jar of costly perfume is another example, ministering to him by pouring it on his feet. Guys, back in that day, she was a sinner, right? And a sinner was not allowed in that house, let alone allowed to touch Jesus, to touch a male. On top of this, her hair was down, which was considered immodest. Not only did Jesus allow this sinner with her hair down to be in that house, she allowed him, sorry, she allowed her to touch him, to use her hair to wash his feet, to minister to him, and then he even defended her. So you can see that while Jesus made no political statements whatsoever, right? He was not a political revolutionary, but his value, his uh, his teachings literally flipped society and politics on its head. Another example, it is the word of God on the sanctity of life from within the womb that has transformed policies around abortion. Jeremiah 1.5, I knew you before I formed you in the womb. I set you apart for me before you were born. That scripture, that belief of the sanctity of life informs policies around abortion. That is the reason why we now fight on behalf of the the brutal uh, bills such as the Babies Born Alive bill, which I've talked about here before. 
Now, it's Jesus' teaching around looking after the poor that's led to our current welfare system. And democracy itself, guys, the way that our whole society is governed by democracy, our entire governing system, that exists because of the word of God that says we are all made in God's image and we have equal value, right? There was not democracy centuries ago. If, but it, again, the, the, the teaching of Jesus transformed that because if we are equal before God, then we must also have equal rights before human law. So I think it is reasonable to conclude that we should be involved in this area of society as much, if not more so, because of our Christian belief, because of Jesus. We should be involved in this as much, if not more so, of every other area of society that we're involved in. I mean, does it make sense to you that as Christians, we talk about shining the light of Christ in our workplaces? We talk about shining the the light of Christ in our places of study or wherever it is that we find ourselves in the so-called marketplace, only for us to then to say, oh, but that doesn't apply to the most important area that shapes society, politics. Of course not. It applies to every single area. Or when people say, well, Jesus didn't do politics, so we shouldn't do politics. How about we put that filter on other activities? What about this? Well, Christians shouldn't set up hospitals because Jesus didn't set up a hospital. Christians shouldn't oppose sex trafficking because Jesus didn't oppose sex trafficking. Or Christians shouldn't set up a school because Jesus didn't set up a school. Or Christians shouldn't oppose the babies born alive bill because Jesus didn't oppose things like that. I mean, how far do we go? What about then, well, Christians shouldn't get married because Jesus didn't get married or Christians shouldn't drive because Jesus didn't drive. Now, I know I'm taking this to the absolute extreme, but you can see what I'm trying to say. Christians are the best one the best ones to lead political discussions in our nation. So while Jesus' mission on earth was not to take a political side, but to bring and establish his kingdom, his teaching, like I said, has revolutionized the political development of society. And so we need to be at the forefront of discussions when it comes to politics uh, in our nation. So let me give you a few examples of what's happening right now in America. I don't know if you follow American politics. I do a little bit, but they've just appointed a new Speaker of the House. I mean, it's a big deal here in Australia, but it is a massive deal over there. And the guy that they have chosen, his name is Mike Johnson. No one had ever heard, like I'd never heard of him before. He is a very conservative, upstanding Christian man, and he is purposely kept out of the spotlight until now. He's just been going around doing the job that he had before, which I can't even tell you what that was. Um, but I know that from everything I'm seeing, people are really, well, conservative Christians especially, very excited that he's in this role. And I saw a picture of him the other day, and he was kneeling on the floor of their parliament with about five other men praying. I'm like, oh my gosh. I mean, they weren't even just like head bowed. They were kneeling. They were kneeling on the floor 
And I'm like, wow, thank God for men like Mike Johnson. And then thank God for women like Amy Coney Barrett. I don't know if you've ever heard of her. If you haven't, go look her up. She is, again, in America, a justice of the Supreme Court in America. There's nine of them. They uh, make, you know, vote on huge uh, areas of society. And she is a mother of five. She's a devout Christian. Now, she was one of the people responsible for leading the way in turning over the Roe v. Wade abortion law. If you're not sure what that is, go back and listen to my episode on that. So thank God for Christian men and women in American politics and here at home in our politics too, in our parliament. And even thank God for those who are not necessarily Christian, but they hold biblical values and they fight in the halls of parliament and they sacrifice in ways that we would never understand. I mean, thank God that they still pray in our parliament, but I wonder sometimes for how much longer. Now, currently at the beginning of each sitting day, in Senate and the House of Representatives, prayers are read. Now, we're not talking like the Pentecostal walk up and down, storm the halls, you know, of of heaven kind of a prayer meeting, but they do read prayers. I know one of them's the Lord's Prayer, and then there's another prayer that they read. Now, this is done at the moment because it's a, it's a rule. It's a part of a rule, a system called standing orders uh, that must be adhered to in the Senate and the House. Now, The senators and the members uh, of the House of Representatives are not required to be present, but at least it is still something that is happening in our parliament. And so I know that in each state as well, um, I should, I said this last time, but I've heard that in South Australia, they've stopped uh, doing these prayers. We need to fight guys for even just the simplest things like prayer still being, um, you know, read out in Parliament. And why is that? Well, that goes all the way back to my episode two weeks ago, where I talked about how the founding fathers made sure that God was put in the preamble of the constitution of our country, because they foresaw our nation being a nation led under God. So guys, I hope that those six thoughts have helped us today, that we don't need to be intimidated to think, I don't know enough about politics, or maybe it's just for the few chosen ones. We need to be at the forefront of leading discussions around this nation. And that doesn't mean that you have to hold a position in public office, although there could be some people listening here. And I know know a number of people um, who are friends of mine that aren't involved in um, certain staffing positions when it comes to politics. We need people in all areas. We need people to be in staffing positions. We need to people, Christian people to be running. But despite all that, we all need to be involved in some way, whether that be that we're writing to our MPs about issues that we're we're passionate about. Um, there are so many ways that we can be involved and we 100% need to be because if we continue to vacate this space like we have in the last few dec- decades, then the moral fabric of our society is declining at a rapid rate. We need to get back in to these spaces uh, our voices need to be heard and we can do it by the way in a loving way but what we should be careful of is not falling into the trap that oh I've got to be seen to be loving and inclusive and so I say nothing that is not helping uh, being loving 
is speaking up. Um, being loving is standing up for the next generation. So I hope that those thoughts have helped you today, especially the one around Jesus. So just to recap on that, while it was not his mission to come to earth and to be a political ambassador and to take sides, his mission was to come and establish a new kingdom. However, his teaching unequivocally has revolutionized the political development of our society. And we need to continue that and to continue to influence this space because this space is what is going to affect the generations to come. So guys, I hope that's helped you. Thank you for joining me. I look forward to being back with you next week. Until then, guys, go and do some Christmas shopping. I think I've convicted myself and I'm about to start my Christmas list. Thanks for coming. I love you guys. I'll be back with you next week. Bye.